0: If you got your Bibles, turn with me to First Corinthians, Start to say 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse, we'll be in verses 14 through 22, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 14 through uh, 22. The title of our lesson this morning is Idolatry and the Lord's Supper, and I'm still having computer problems and I can't figure out what I'm doing here, so y'all just have to Bear with me here so I can figure all this stuff out. Idolatry and, and the Lord's Supper. Um, let's read the, we're going to read the, the, the today's passage is, is a little bit of a difficult passage. If you just read it, you'd think, what in the world is he talking about? You know, why, how did he, how did he connect these two? What has idolatry got to do with the Lord's Supper? And so let's read it first and then we'll, we'll kind of talk about it. Uh, Paul says this, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now, again, when you just first read that, you're kind of like, if you're like me, you're like, okay, what's he even talking about? How did he get from flee from idolatry to, to, to the Lord's Supper? So... As always, in order to understand uh, today's passage, and, 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 if, and I, I always say this, there's one thing you learn out of this class, if you don't, if, from 10 years from now, if you don't remember anything else, please remember one thing, it's all about context, right? You cannot just pull one passage of the Bible out and, and everything, it's what we said a couple weeks ago, Scripture's like a linked chain, not like a string of pearls right? Every chain links to the one before it and the one after it. Everything is about context. Um, And this is especially true in today's passage because look at the first word. It says what? Therefore. Well, we all understand in English, if I say therefore, I'm connecting something, right? In other words, I've just said something and I say therefore do this or therefore don't do that, right? It's just a, it's a standard English word. We all know what that, what that means. So what we have to do, we have to go back a little bit understand what is it that Paul said so that now he comes to a point where he says, therefore. Well, if you've been with us in our study over the past few weeks, you can't help but notice that Paul has talked a lot about idolatry. Okay, now this all started back in chapter 8. You remember the Corinthians wrote Paul uh, a letter and they asked him some questions. And one of the questions that they asked him was, is it okay to eat food or meat offered to to idols? Now, the reason they asked that question was because in Corinthian society, they were always making offerings to... I mean, they literally worshipped hundreds of gods. Zeus, Aphrodite, Apollo, Venus... Um, the, the the list goes on and on. And so if you went to some event, it didn't really matter where you went. If you went to a wedding, that wedding probably had meat. They were serving meat in honor of some God. If you went to a, a family meal, if you went to a business function, you know, they held a business function. They would That business function would be held in honor of some God. So it didn't really matter what kind of event or thing that you went to. You really couldn't go a day or probably even a week without encountering some kind of meat that had been offered to idols. Now if you think about it, we can understand this right. Listen, if you come to my house for dinner, guess what we're gonna do before we eat? Anybody want to know? We're gonna pray. Whether you like it or not, it doesn't really matter. And I don't I don't stop and ask, is anybody here mine if I pray? We're gonna pray. We're going to bless that food, right? We're going to honor Christ. We're going to honor God. And when I finish praying, I'm going to say three words in Jesus' name, right? And and so in that culture, they did the same thing. If you went somewhere, they were going to bless that food. They were just blessing it to the wrong God. They were blessing it to idols. They were blessing But But you can understand that. So you couldn't really go anywhere... Without um, without having to deal uh, deal with that, okay. Uh, so the Corinthians had decided that uh, you know they had to kind of figure out well what can we do? Can we do we go to these weddings? Do we go to these business functions? What if I go down to Publix and you know they got a big uh, you know they got a big steak out there? Can I buy that steak? You know it's on sale. It's a good deal. Can I buy it? So they had to figure some things out. So this is what they had decided. They said you know what an idol. An idol is nothing. It's just a little piece of wood or a piece of metal. It's nothing. And by the way, Paul said, You're exactly right. An idol is, is nothing. It's, it's definitely not any kind of real God. So you don't, they decided, You know what? An idol means nothing. We don't have to worry about it. And by the way, if an idol is nothing, then the food offered to an idol is what? It's nothing. It means nothing. In other words, that steak, whether it's been offered to an idol or don't idol, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we can eat that steak. What you eat or don't eat doesn't make you spiritually better. It doesn't make you any, uh, any spiritually worse. So what these Christians had started doing, in their mind, they had decided that there was nothing wrong with these idols, so they had once again started getting involved in these, in these pagan festivals. They had started going to these business functions. They had start, just started doing all these things and started getting involved with it again. And They had started getting back into society, economically and socially and culturally, and attending all these events, events that were built around uh, the worship of an idol. Now, and again, I apologize for that. I still don't know what's going on, but we just have to work through it. Now, remember, this is the freedom of the believer, Right? We have we have been set free in Christ. We are no longer bound by rituals. We no longer bound by ceremonies or holy days or feast or sabbaths or any of that stuff. We are free to be guided by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Okay, we've talked about this for, for weeks now. This is what we call the freedom of the believer. So this is what I want to be clear about this morning. When they would go to those events. They were doing nothing wrong. Is everybody, I want everybody to understand that. When they would go to this wedding, so they, let's say somebody had a wedding, and it, the wedding was in honor of Zeus, and they were invited to this wedding, they had to decide, can I go or not go? The Bible doesn't really say anything about it. So I, I, an idol's nothing, the food offered the idol's nothing, I'm going to go. And so they would go to these, these feasts or these weddings or these business functions or whatever. And, and by the way, they were doing nothing wrong. They're not worshiping the idol, right? They're just going to an event where other people worshiped an idol. They're not worshiping an idol. They're just eating the food that has been offered to an idol. And they were absolutely free to do those things. And I, and I want to make sure every, they're not sinning by going to that event. does everybody clear on that? Okay, I think that's, his, that's, his, that's very, very important to understand what Paul's going to say. But here's the deal. Their freedom to do those things is putting them in close proximity to the danger of idolatry. In the name of freedom, they've got the freedom to do these things, they've exposed themselves to idol worship. Okay? They're not doing anything wrong, they're not sinning by going, but yet they're 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 very close to the line. In fact, although they're not sinning necessarily, they're not worshiping idols, the fact is they're they're walking very close to that line. Everybody with me? Here's the line, right? And and on this side you're not worshiping an idol, on this side you are. And they're they're by going to these events, they're in their they, which they're free to do. They're putting themselves very close to sin. They're putting themselves very close to idolatry. And guys, we can all agree, isn't that a... Which is, which is If this is the idolatry line, which is more dangerous, here or over here? It's a little bit... The closer you get, it's a little more dangerous, right? Well, that's exactly what they're doing. They're, they're putting them in close proximity to, to sin. So, And by the way, as we came to chapter 10, if you'll remember the first part of chapter 10... Paul gives us an example of a group of people who crossed that line, and that was the Israelites. Remember in verses 6 through 7, Paul said this, Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Don't be idolaters as they were. Okay, You'll remember we talked about this uh, a week or two ago that the Israelites were privileged and blessed like no other people before them. They saw things with their eyes that you and I have never seen. They saw a pillar of cloud move around by day to tell them where to go. They saw a pillar of uh, of fire by night. They saw waters part, and they walked through a sea. Any any of y'all ever done that? Anybody? They were led by... Uh, a man named Moses, one of the one of the greatest men to ever live, uh, live a man that literally walked and talked with God. They were led by him. And, and and like I said last week or two weeks ago, we're led by a great man, but as Miss Beth said, he ain't Moses. <laughs> Miss Beth, you you said that right? So so he's a great man, but he ain't Moses. So so they were they saw things and heard things that you and I never saw, and folks, they didn't make it. With all that they saw, with all the blessings and privileges and advantages they had, the Bible says they didn't make it. In fact, the Bible says God slaughtered them in the wilderness, left them in the wilderness to die. They did not make it to the promised land. And one of the reasons they didn't was because of idolatry. I mean, as soon as they got a chance, they see, if you go back and think about the Israelites, they had left Egypt and they had God, but in their heart, that, that, that idolatry was still kind of, it was there, wasn't it? So as soon as they got a chance to fall back into it, they stayed so close to the line that as soon as they got a chance to fall back into it, they just stepped over the line. They were right back in idolatry, okay? Now that brings us all to today's passage. So remember, Paul says you got these Israelites who they had every advantage in the world, and they stayed so close to idolatry that they fell over into it. And then you've got the Corinthians who are, who are walking that line. They're going to all these events and everything. So Paul says in verse 14, he says this, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, I don't want you to miss Paul's point here this morning. The point is not how close to sin can I get. The point is not how close to the line of idolatry can I get right? The point is, how far away from it can you go? Get away from it. Run from it. Turn around and and flee. You see, Paul's not saying, hey guys, it's okay. You can go right over to the edge and, and just make sure you don't fall over. Does Paul say that? No. What does Paul say? Get away from the edge. Run away from that line. Get as far away from it. Don't put yourself needlessly in danger of idolatry. Flee from it, run from it. Because where you are at, what you're doing is dangerous to you. Okay, that's his whole point in, in, verse, in verse 14. Therefore, because of all that I've told you before, you need to run and flee from idolatry. You see, folks, the freedom that I enjoy as a Christian should not be used to expose myself needlessly to idolatry or needlessly to any sin for that matter. Paul says use your freedom to turn around and get away from it. You got to be very very careful when you're on the edge of that cliff, on the edge of that line that you don't fall needlessly into idolatry. Now, I want to stop here for just a second because I think there's a danger for us today whenever we see something in the Bible about idolatry it's really easy for us to say, you know what, that was back then. That was Old Testament stuff. That was back during Greek and Roman days. That's not for me. It has nothing to do with, with me. But idolatry... In fact, if you ask most Christians, does idolatry affect you today in America, in Florida, in Wakulla County, most Christians would say, well, no. That's, that's something that happened back then. So I want to ask the question... What does an idol look like in, in today's world? Now, the Bible literally, it, we could stop right now and go for three weeks on just idolatry. I mean, the Bible literally has that many scriptures that deal with idolatry. But there's one scripture that I'm going to, I'm just going to use one scripture this morning because of our of time constraints. And I'm going to use that, one, that scripture because, or that one verse, because it actually answers our question it tells us exactly what idolatry looks like today. And that scripture is Colossians 3.5. Paul is writing to the church at Colossus, and he says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. And he adds one final thing, and covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. See, we think of idolatry as, well, if I, if I take a little figurine, if I take a little wooden animal or a little golden calf or something and I, and I fall down and worship that idol, that's idolatry. But Paul says, no, 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 no. Let, let, me, let me add a little bit to that. Let me open your eyes a little bit. He says, covetousness is idolatry. Now, now what does Paul mean by that? Well, if, what, if I ask the question, what does an idol look like in today's world? See, there are still religions out there, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. There are religions out there. Uh, Hindus, for example, still, uh, they still uh, 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 worship in a way that we might call Old, Old Testament idolatry. They have little animals or little, uh, little figurines of their gods, literally hundreds of them that they they worship, whether it's dead people or animals or whatever. There are still religions out there that do that. But for the most part, you and I don't deal with that. Okay, I don't know the last time I was invited over to somebody's house and they put a stake in front of me that they'd been offered to the sun god. Has anybody dealt with that lately? I mean, I haven't. I mean, I just, you just don't deal with that very much anymore here in America or in the South or anything. So we have to ask this question. Is there a form of idolatry that we should flee from? If we don't have to deal with little wooden animals and little golden statues, is there a form of idolatry that we should flee from? And Paul's answer is absolutely there is. In fact, Paul says covetousness is equal to idolatry. It's the exact same thing. You see, what idolatry looks like for me and you is it's something inside of our heart. It's when you crave something more than you crave God. It's when you want something more than you want God. When you value something more than you value God. Okay, when you desire or treasure something more than you treasure God. That's what covetousness is. When you covet something, you're saying, man, I got to have that. I need that to make me happy. I need that to satisfy me. I need that thing. When you say, and when that's so, so much in your heart, when you want that thing more than you want God, the Bible says that's that thing becomes an idol to you. Okay, it doesn't have to be a little wooden animal, but that is an idol. Paul calls it covetousness. When you love something more than you love God, that's exactly, folks. That is what idolatry looks like today. And can I tell you, it is everywhere in your culture. Everywhere in our culture. I mean, it is rampant in our culture today. It could be, a lot of things could be money. Can I tell you today, there's people out there that love money more than they love God. They crave money more than they crave God. In their life, money is an idol. They are, they are practicing idolatry. Paul says, do what from that? Run from it. Flee from it. Get away from that thing because it, you are in, you're standing on the line. In some cases, maybe you've crossed that line. It could be education. It could be your looks. It could be the approval of other people. There are people walking around that struggle with this. They, they struggle with their Christianity because they're, this, this thing, this approval, what will other people think? What will other people say? See, that can become an idol. If you want the, the approval of other people more than you want the approval of God, that thing has become an idol in your heart and in your life. See, it's just, it's just as real today, it's just as rampant today as it, as it could be anywhere else. It could be sexual, it could be a hobby, it could be a musical group, it could be sports. Let me tell you, if you don't realize this, there are people, and you probably know some of them, that sports is their god. Sports is their absolute god. Their their team is their idol. It's all about that in their in their in their life. It could be your home. If your home just becomes everything's about your home, how your home looks, how people see your home and it could be anything. Anything in your life that you love more than you love God becomes an idol. And whatever that thing is You covet it more than you covet God. You want it more than you want God. So it becomes an idol in your heart. And Paul says, folks, flee from that thing. Flee from it. So I don't want you to leave here today thinking, well, Paul says flee from idolatry. That was for the Corinthians. That was for people in the Greek culture, the Roman culture, and Old Testament culture. No, it's it's as much for our culture today as it was for them back then. Now, we could stop right there and go home, and I would say that was a pretty good lesson. Wouldn't y'all? You're supposed to nod your head in the affirmative. Yeah, you're, you're a great teacher, Derek. That's a pretty good lesson, but Paul has more to say. Okay? He has an argument he wants to make in order to help you and me avoid idolatry. Okay? So he says, flee from idolatry. But then he's got an argument. He wants to give you a reason to flee from idolatry. Okay? He argues... That it should be avoided because of the meaning of the Lord's Supper. All right, now that's a, it's, a, it's not an easy argument to understand. Okay, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna kinda of summarize the argument first to tell you what he's saying, and then we're gonna walk through it so you'll, we can understand it a little bit better. Okay? We all, let's talk first of all, really general. Do we all understand? That And we're going to, by the way, in a few weeks, uh, probably about three weeks, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. We're going to talk about the meaning of the Lord's Supper. We're going to go into how Catholics view the Lord's Supper, how Protestants view the Lord's Supper. Uh, we're going we're to go through it so we all understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper. But for now, I would say we all understand that when we come to the Lord's table, when we partake of, uh, of, the, of, the, of communion... A, in that communion, we are fellowshipping with Christ, are we not? That's the reason we call it communion, because we're communing with Him. In, in some way, and we'll talk about this in detail again in a few weeks, we're coming together uh, not only as, as individuals, but as a community of believers to celebrate Christ and to, uh, to remember His death. Now, let's say that uh, you've got a friend at work, and this friend is is Indian, not American Indian, but East Indian. They're Hindu. And they come to you one day, and they say, hey, we're having a festival up in town. Um, it's an Indian festival, and they're going to have a lot of good food, and and I, I would like to invite you to come. Okay? And you think about it, and you think, okay, well... You know, it, it, I, you look. You, you, first of all, you worry about the Bible. You look in the Bible, and you don't see anything in the Bible that says don't go. So you think, okay, I've got freedom, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and go. And so you do. You go up to this festival, and you get up there, and you realize when you get there, this is a Hindu festival, and they're they're you know they got food over here. They they got little altars set up, and they've got these food tables, and they've been offering this food to these gods, and 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 you know you're going around doing all that. Paul says, if you do that. By the way, even though you're free to do it, Paul says if you do that, whether you like it or not, you are identifying with those idols and you're identifying with those people. Everybody with me? This is going to be his argument. In the same way that you come to the Lord's table and you identify with Christ and you identify with the community of believers, if you go to one of those idol festivals... He says in the same way you are identifying with that festival, you're identifying with those idols, and you're identifying with those believers whether you like it or not. You see, the fact is... All right, I'm going to stop this because this is driving me insane. I know it's driving you all insane. The fact is when you go to a religious service or you go to a, a celebration of some sort, it always involves the the worshiper with the one being worshipped, and it always involves you with other worshipers, right? I mean, when you come here to River of Life, you're you're coming to a community of believers. You're identifying with Christ. This is true, Paul says, for it doesn't matter what kind of religious service you go to. You're doing the exact same thing. You're identifying with the God being worshipped, and you're identifying with other believers. Now... If it's the Lord's Supper, Paul's going to say you're communing with Christ. But if it's an idol, Paul's going to tell us you're communing with demons. Okay? Th- this is what he's going to tell us. Whether you like it or not, whether you just think, you know, I'm just going to this thing because of my friend, Paul says, whether you like it or not, I need you to know you're communing with, with demons. See, that's, that's gonna, he's going to tell us that's precisely why a Christian can't go to an idol feast because it involves them with the worshipers, it involves them with the one being worshipped, and, and that is incredibly inconsistent for a Christian. How can you on one hand sit at the Lord's table, and on another hand sit at the, the demon's table? How can you do that? Paul says you, you can't. That's inconsistent. So I want to take a closer look at his reasoning. So if you've got your Bibles open, look at verses 16 through 17. And we're going to walk through his his argument here in just a few minutes. So remember, verse 14, Paul says, Flee, therefore, my, bro- my beloved, flee from my idolatry. And then he says, you're smart people. Your, your translation may be, say, sensible people, but he's saying, look, you're intelligent people, you judge for yourself what I'm about to say. That's, that's what he says in verse 15. You're smart people, judge for yourself what I'm about to say. And then he comes to verses 16 and 17, and he says this, and you can read it in your Bible. He says this, The cup of the blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Now, your translation may say... Does anybody say sharing? Communion with the body of Christ? Sharing with the body of Christ? The ESV says a participation in the body of Christ. He goes on. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake... Of the, of the one bread. Now, Paul is arguing here that, again, remember, he's arguing that this is what should make us want to flee from idolatry, to, to flee from these pagan feasts where idols are worshipped. Because in the Lord's Supper, we are sharers or communers or participators in the blood of Christ and in the, the body of, of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Okay, I get what he's saying, but what does he... What is he trying to say here? First of all, I want to ask this question. Does that mean that we physically eat, drink the blood and we physically eat the body of Christ? See, that's, we'll talk about this in a few weeks. That's what Catholics believe. Catholics believe that when you come uh, and you partake of the Eucharist, that that piece of bread literally, when you put it in your mouth, becomes the flesh of Jesus' body. They literally believe when you take that wine or that juice that it actually is transfigured into the actual blood of Christ. Is that what Paul is saying? When he says we're sharers in the blood of Christ, we're sharers in the body of Christ, is he saying that we are physically eating Christ? Is that what he means? Well... As I said, we're going to cover the Lord's Supper here in probably about, I don't know, two or three weeks, whenever we get there. It, it, I, I hadn't figured all that out yet. And it's got a, in chapter 11, it's all about the Lord's Supper. So we're going to cover that in a lot more detail. But for, for, for today, I want to let Paul himself explain what he means. That's one of the things I like about Paul. If he thinks there's any kind of, uh, of discrepancy in what he might say, he'll go ahead and, and explain it. Look at verse 18. Now, he's just said that aren't we participators in the body of Christ? Aren't we participators in the blood of Christ, right? We're all as a community partaking of that one bread, that one body. Then he says this in verse 18. Look at it. He says, consider the people of Israel. He wants to give you an example. He says, consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices? And there's that same word again, participants in the altar. Does yours say sharers in the altar? It's the same word. Now, let me ask you a question. Does this mean they eat the altar? Does that mean when the old, in the Old Testament when they sacrificed at the altar? He says, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altars? Does that mean they, they eat the altar? Well, of course it doesn't mean that. It means that they share in the benefits of what happens on the altar. When you participate in the altar, it says that you share in the benefits of what happens on that altar, right? You see, on the altar, in the Old Testament, God is removing guilt. He's forgiving sin. He's making peace. He's establishing fellowship with His people, is He not? So to be a sharer in the altar or a participator in the altar is to share in all the things that God is doing on the altar. That's what he means. You're a participator. You're you're sharing in the benefits of what God is doing. You see, that is exactly what Paul means when he says that you and I share or participate in the blood and body of Christ. You see, when Christ is sacrificed on the cross, God once again is removing guilt. He's forgiving sin. He's making peace. He's reconciling people. He's establishing fellowship with all of those who believe. And when you and I as Christians come to the Lord's supper, and we partake of the Lord's supper, we are sharing in all the benefits of his death. Everybody see that doesn't mean we're eating his his flesh and drinking his blood. It's talking about the fact that we're sharing in all the benefits of his death on the cross. That becomes my forgiveness. It becomes my peace. It becomes my reconciliation. It becomes my fellowship with him. I'm sharing in those benefits. That's exactly what what Paul means. Now, look at verse 19. He says this, What do I imply then? Am I implying that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? Now, what he's doing here is he's guarding himself from a misinterpretation. Paul I don't, I don't want you to miss what Paul's saying here because this is very important. He is not against participation in idol feast because idols are anything or the food is anything. Hasn't he already told us idols are what? Nothing. The food offered to idols is nothing. Paul's already said you're not any better if you eat, you're not any worse if you do eat. That, that food. So he wants us to understand. I, that's not what I'm saying, folks. He said, I'm not saying when you go to the idol feast, you're, you're, I, I don't want you to go because idols are anything. That's nothing. If the food is anything. That's nothing. He, see, see, that's not the issue. Look at verse 20. He says, No, those things aren't anything. But then he says this I'm implying that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be, what does your verse say? Sharers with demons. I don't want you to be participators in demons. Now, don't miss what he's saying. He uses that word over and over again. In the Old Testament, when he's saying, when those Old Testament people went to the altar and they participated or shared in the altar, they were sharing in the benefits of what God was doing on the altar. And when you and I come to the Lord's table here at River of Life and we partake of the bread and we partake of the, of the, of the juice, we're, we're partakers in the benefits of all that Christ did on the cross. Look at verse 20. He says, when you go to one of those idol festivals, you are sharing with demons. You're participating with demons. He said the idol's nothing, the food is nothing, but there's something else going on behind the scenes, right? Right? And he said, what they're offering, they don't know they're being controlled by demons. They, they don't understand that what they're doing is demonic. That, that piece of wood is nothing, but behind the scenes, demons are running the show. And when you go over there, and you get in the midst of that, even though you're free to do it, he says, understand you're putting your, yourself in close proximity to demons. You're exposing yourself needlessly to participate with demons. Again, he uses the exact same word. Now again, does that mean, by the way, that when we eat the food offered to demons, that we, are we literally eating demons? Of course that's not, that's not what he means. He said that over and over. It means that we enter into some kind of fellowship with them. It's not something to play with. Paul's being very, very serious here. It, it means that we are sharing with them in some way. We become vulnerable to them. We affirm them, we we give them leeway in our lives. And and folks, let's come full circle. Isn't that exactly what we do when we come to the Lord's Supper? When we come to the Lord's Supper, aren't we validating Christ? Aren't we giving ourselves to Christ? Aren't we affirming Christ? Aren't we becoming vulnerable to Him? Isn't that what the Lord's Supper? We open ourselves up to Him when we come to the Lord's Supper? Here, here's something else I want you to understand, too. Paul says, the idol is nothing, and the food is nothing, but in the act, you're opening yourself up to demons. Everybody see what he's saying? And I want you to listen to me very carefully here. When you come to the Lord's Supper to partake, the issue is never the bread and the juice. Do y'all really think... I, we don't have any up here? Do y'all really think those little crackers are anything... Do you? Do you think they really have any kind of, some kind of power? It's crackers, right? Do you think the juice that we buy at Winn-Dixie and put in the cups, they're anything? Are they? Of course they're not. I used to tell the kids, explain that to them. There's nothing magical about the elements. If, listen, if, if you're somewhere and you want to take communion and all you've got is a Coke and vanilla wafers then use Coke and vanilla wafers. That's perfectly fine. There's nothing magical about the elements. It's the act that we're doing, right? It's the, the fact that in the act we're remembering Christ, we're celebrating Christ. The elements themselves, are just, they're nothing. The same way that an idol and meat offered to idols is nothing. But in the act of participating in that, you're validating demons. You're validating that, that side of the spiritual world. In the same way we come to the Lord's Supper, we're validating Christ in the act. The, 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 the elements themselves, are, they're nothing. They have no special power to do anything to us. You see, the power of the Lord's Supper is in its meaning. Again, in the act of the Lord's Supper, we're we're submitting to Christ. We're saying, you're my God. I participate. Your your blood washes away my sin. Your death reconciles me to the Father. See, we're we're saying this connects me and you. I'm with you. Okay, that's why we call it communion. That's why we call it sharing, participating. See, the real power of the Lord's Supper is in its true purpose, which is to deepen and strengthen our participation in the benefits of the cross and to nourish our fellowship with with Christ himself. Now, here's the $64,000 question. Why should all of that help us to flee from idolatry? Remember, this is Paul's argument. Verse 14, flee from idolatry. Now, let me tell you why. And he tells us that, he gives us the argument of of the Lord's Supper. Well, Paul answers that question in verse 21. Look at it in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 10, 21. Paul says this, this is why. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You can't do both, Paul says. Okay. Now, even as I say that, when I was putting this lesson together, a thought came into my mind which is probably the same thought that comes into your mind, and that is this. But Derek, people do that every Sunday. Do they not? How many people do you think come in here on a Sunday when we have the Lord's Supper, and they come down, and, and, and they, or they sit, and they partake of the juice, they partake of the bread, and then they walk out of this door, and they go right back to their idolatry? Anybody? Do you understand that happens not just in this church, it happens in the church down the road and the church up the street and the church in the next county over, in the next state over, in the next country over. That happens millions and millions and millions of times every single day. People people come to the Lord's table, they physically eat the bread, they, they physically drink the wine or drink the juice, and then they walk out of the building and they go right back to their idols. But you see, Paul says, wait a minute, guys, you cannot do both. So which is it? Can you do both or, or can you physically walk out of here? See, Paul, that's not... I want you to understand, Paul, if you... Okay, trying to find the right words to put this in. Paul's not talking about the person who comes in here on a Sunday morning and they, they, we pass around the elements and they take the bread and they take the juice and to them it means absolutely nothing. It's just one more ritual. It's just one more ceremony. I'll just drink this and eat that, and I'm, I'm good to go. Let me go back to my idols and get, get back to my money, get back to my career, get back to my sports, get back to what I really want to do. That's not who Paul's talking to. Because as we just said, does that bread and juice have any special power? No, it's what's in your heart. And see, if it's not, if Paul's talking here about people that partake of the Lord's Supper with their heart that people that are really, truly partaking or sharing in the benefits of what Christ has done for them. Paul says when you really share in the benefits of the cross and you come to the Lord's table, you're being nourished by the Lord. You're being satisfied by the Lord. He says, see, that's why you can't do both. Because when you truly fellowship with Christ... When you truly partake of the benefits, it's your forgiveness, your salvation, your reconciliation, your peace, your joy. You're loving Him and being satisfied by Him and submitting to Him and enjoying the benefits of His work on the cross. Paul says, see, that's what it means to share in the blood and the body of Christ, to sit with Jesus at the banquet of the table of His benefits. And when you're really doing that, can I tell you, idols mean nothing. If I'm sitting here and I'm I'm, man, I'm coming to the Lord's table and it's, it's real to me, and I understand when I take that bread that his, that's His body that died for me. When I drink that cup and I understand that's representative of His blood that washed away my sins, and I fellowship with Him, and by the way, not just with Him, but I'm doing it in a community of believers who feel the same way. Why in the world would I look over that line and those idols hold anything for me? Why would I want to run out of here and go back to my money? Why would I want to run out of here and go back to a career or go back to, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, folks. I understand we got to work, we got to pay our bills, but that's it. That's all that is. That's that, that, they, those hold no allure for me whatsoever. They, they lose their power of any attraction because he's everything to me. That's what Paul's talking about. Now, real quickly. Got about three more, three or four more slides. I want to give you what I call the two-sided error of the Corinthians. What, what, what was the Corinthians' mistake? What was their error? You see, the Corinthians failed to see that the bread, that eating the bread and drinking the cup, was literally sharing in the life of Christ and fellowshipping with him as one body. They didn't understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper. They didn't see it as a spiritual act where you're communing with Christ. And because they misunderstood that, they made really two huge mistakes. First, they and, and don't get me wrong here, let me, let me explain what I'm about to say. First, they overestimated its power. They overestimated its power. You see, what they did is they saw eating the bread and drinking the cup as some kind of magical antidote. They thought, you know, if I just go to church on Sunday and I just partake of the bread, and, 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 I, and I drink the juice, I'll be safe. Almost like it's an immunization. If I come in and take the Lord's Supper, I can go back out to my idolatry, and I'm safe. I'm immunized against it. Everybody with me? How, I mean, they, they, they just thought, man, if I just take the Lord's Supper, I can go on participating in idolatry and sin, and, and I'm okay. I want to tell you, folks, this is frighteningly close to the way millions of professing Christians today view the Lord's Supper. They see it as a grace dispenser, that if you just show up and you eat and drink, you're going to be safe. Even if the rest of your life remains entangled with idolatry and sin. If I just take the Lord's Supper, I'm good. Okay? I see, they overestimate its power, that, that somehow or another it's got a power to immunize you, like some kind of antidote. But Paul says, what did he say in verse 12? Let him who thinks he stands, beware lest he fall. See, the Lord's Supper doesn't protect you from the judgment of God if you go on craving and grumbling and idolizing the way the world does. See, that was a mistake the Israelites made. They thought, well, we we got God here, we can do anything we want to do. And they didn't make it. See, don't think that somehow or another the the Lord's Supper just protects you like some kind of magical antidote. And that's one of the mistakes that they they made. Secondly, they underestimated its purpose. The other mistake the Corinthians made was not understanding that the purpose of the Lord's Supper is spiritual fellowship with Christ. And when we participate in this fellowship with Him, it really does protect us. But the way it protects protects us is is by making the other side lose all of its appeal. In other words, when you've experienced the real, the counterfeit holds no power over you. The counterfeit holds no allure over you. When you're satisfied by Jesus, how can you? How does anything else even hold a candle to that? That's how the Lord's Supper protects us. Not as some kind of magical antidote, but when you're really communing with Christ the idols, the, the, the other things in your life, lose their power. Money becomes a way to pay your bills, not, not, not a way to make you happy. Career becomes a way to pay your bills, not to, to satisfy some longing inside of you. It becomes a matter of just, this is that the way we live our life, but Jesus becomes our everything. That's what Paul's talking about. So understand what the Lord's Supper means. Real quickly application. For you and I, today's text concerning the Lord's Supper is not really about what we do when we partake of the Lord's Supper. It's really more about what we do when we're not at the Lord's Supper, right? It's about the threat of idolatry in our life every day. For those of us that sit with Jesus, as I said earlier, at the banquet of the benefits of his death, such experience that dare not be profaned. We cannot walk away from the Lord's Supper and then profane him by sitting down and partaking of idols. And again, I'm not just talking about some Hindu festival. I'm talking about things that are idols in our lives. And can I tell you, our idols may not be little wooden animals. Um, They might not be little golden beings of some sort, but you know what they are in your life. There's not a person in here, if I went around and said, tell me what the idols are in your life. Tell me the things that draw you away from Christ. Everybody knows what they are. So today, I'll say, just I'll repeat what Paul said. In the name of Christ and and, and according to the words of Paul, in verse 14, he says again, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Don't play around with it. Flee from it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...